Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. that you open our hearts and let a seed be planted, Lord Jesus. We love you so very, very much, Lord. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated. It's so good to be here this morning. Amen. Thank you, Brother Royal, for that. Slaves can be delivered. You believe that? Amen. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. God, God will always find a way around the efforts of the enemy that always seeks to keep us in bondage. He'll find a way out. He'll help you. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. This series, we're going to talk about the God of deliverance, as Brother Toby's already mentioned. We'll follow the Israelites' journey on their way out of slavery and the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. We'll watch how Moses grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. We'll watch them how they go across the Red Sea and to the mountain. Uh, we're going to see how they receive their commandments. And we're going to see how the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. It's going to be a good series. Today, we're going to talk about deliverance. For more than 200 years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived at liberty. They increased slowly. Israel started out as just one man, Jacob. And Jacob had sons. Israel had sons. And his sons had sons. And now they go down into Egypt as a family of 70. Israel's a family. And through cruel bondage come out a nation of about 2 million. What an increase. According to the promises made to Abraham some while back. And though his promise may be long in coming, they're always right on time. They may be slow and exhausted, but they are sure and they are perfect. The land of Egypt became to them a land of bondage. What was once a place of refuge is now a place of torment and despair. It's a place of affliction and rigor. Rigor means uh, stiffness or strictness. This is what they became to the Israelites. They became strict to them and wicked to him. Matthew Henry said, there is no sight more hateful to a wicked man than the prosperity of the righteous. The, the Egyptians began to fear the Hebrews. Wickedness makes a man fear where no fear is. When no one is pursuing you, he'll make you flee when there's no one even after you. 
the new king that rose up and knew not Joseph, he said, let us, let us deal wisely with them. He's talking about earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is wicked because it's from beneath and it's foolish and it's sinful. Satan is the chief of unrestrained self-expression and selfishness. The greatest commandment is to love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself and other people. We are made in the image of God. We're to love man as we love God. For Satan, the highest value is to love and promote self. Earthly wisdom tends to promote confusion as opposed to heavenly wisdom that comes from the Holy Ghost that produces harmony. Heavenly wisdom is not tainted by envy or bitterness or anger or self-seeking. It's pure because it has the welfare of others at heart. The, the Egyptians made them to serve for the prophet of Pharaoh and did their very best to make their lives bitter. But in doing so, the Hebrews multiplied. The same happened in the book of Acts. Jesus told them to go and preach the gospel to all nations, but they lingered in and around Jerusalem until Saul took counsel up against them. And they fled and multiplied in number. The children of Israel were in a position they had never saw coming. The Egyptians tried to destroy Israel by murdering their baby boys. War was proclaimed between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There's war between grace and corruption in the hearts of God's people. And by the time the Israelites realized what had happened to them, they were entrenched in bondage. Hope seemed a, a million miles away. These events are a perfect example of how Satan draws many people, many of us, into spiritual slavery and bondage. How believers can backslide. The devil tries to chip away at our conscience and eliminate small disciplines in our lives. We begin to think maybe this aspect of godly living isn't as important as, or, or, or you know, as important as this small. This is a small sin. Surely, surely it won't hurt me that badly. It's just a little sin. It's not like this big sin. You see, we like to measure sin. Man does. God don't. We do. Eventually, through gradual regression, the devil can put us back into that same place where he delivered us from. You know, history or governments seem to always forget their history. We, 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 we can relate to that. The Egyptians had, had not always oppressed the Hebrews. In fact, if you remember the story of Joseph was once held in a position of authority. He was second only to Pharaoh. But, but you know, countries seem to forget what God has done for them. The Egyptians did not remember how God provided for them in the famine, uh, how the seven years that Joseph was, was, was given a God-given ability to manage and, and administrate the food so they could survive. We understand this because we live in a country in America here has, that have forgotten that because this country was founded upon godly living, that we are blessed. This country has forgot because we had... We don't mind, we used to not mind praying. Praying was allowed. You could pray in schools and before events. 
And, and, and we always gave credit to God and, and he sustained us and he's kept his, his hand on this country. But I'm here to remind us today that as soon as this church is called away and we will be called away, that destruction, destruction the likes the world has never seen will be unleashed on this planet and grace will be gone. So because they forgot previous blessings, they committed egregious sins. As saints, we must not forget the blessings that God has poured out on us. Don't forget what God's done for you or where he brought you from. How the many miracles that he's gave you. How can somebody... We, we, it, it puzzles us, but how can somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, backslide? It's simple, really, by slowly and gradually forgetting the blessings of God. Hallelujah. But God saw the Israelites, he saw their distress, and, and he, ha he always has a plan. He always has a plan. While Pharaoh was trying to kill the Hebrew baby boys, God sent midwives to protect them. And one of the babies that was saved was Moses. And after his birth, his mother hid him for three months. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, she, she made a little floating basket and she took him to the river. And I'm sure she prayed and asked that God would keep her boy alive. And as he floated downstream, God heard her prayer and he saved this little boy. He sent Pharaoh, the enemy, he sent his daughter to that river to bathe and she seen that baby and she immediately had compassion on him. And Moses, his sister, is hiding in the bushes and so she runs out and says, hey, I can get you a Hebrew woman to nurse that baby. And of course, Pharaoh's daughter said, Dad, that's a good idea, let's do that. And so Moses, his sister, Brings out Moses' mother. And what do you know? Moses is raised up in the palace of Pharaoh by his mama. Amen. That's what God will do. He, he's right there. You can't outfool God. You're not going to get ahead of him. Hallelujah. Few, like Brother Toby was talking about a while ago about slavery. Few of us have experienced literal slavery. But many of us have experienced spiritual slavery emotional, psychological slavery. Many have experienced trauma either by circumstances of life or by the wickedness of humanity that has just left us tortured by fear and doubt. Others have committed such great sin that it's left them overwhelmed and just, they just there's no way for them to be redeemed. But I'm here to tell you, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, there's a God that can deliver you. That same God. There's probably many testimonies in this very room of deliverance. Great stories. I'm sure if we pass the mic around, there will be stories that would just blow our minds where God brought them from. And that same God that delivered the Israelites, who delivered our elders, can deliver you this morning. After Moses' protection in the river, uh, he grew up in the, in the palace, but he, he ended up fleeing. And after he fled, he, he, he killed an Egyptian that was, that was uh, being mean to his fellow men. Uh, and so he ended up murdering him. So he, he flees into Midian for, for 40 years. And this is where he learns to be a shepherd. And he returned later to Egypt 
to do God's miraculous work to bring them out of bondage. This is this is but he had to go, he had to go away for a while. He had to go away to be to learn how to, to deal with such people. You see, you got to learn how to do this. God will put you through certain trials to condition you. Moses needed to be conditioned. And through supernatural plagues, the Hebrews were delivered. God gave them a, a law, a series of commandments for them to follow. And then these laws weren't because God wanted to, to, to control them. It was to keep them from falling back into sin and to keep them in a healthy relationship with God. That's what the law was designed to do. Hallelujah. While giving these commandments, the Lord also gave them a prophecy. He always gives you a promise of another deliverer like Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see the great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. Whose name? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Moses was a type of Jesus. He was a, a model of him. But even though Moses was used by God to deliver the Hebrews, God knew that this was not the last time the Israelites would need deliverance. So God, because he, he, he exists outside of space and time, he understood that Israel would continue to sin, turn to false gods and fall in, back into slavery. Moses was just a precursor and a type of the ultimate deliverer that would come later. And it would deliver peop, all people for all time. Of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Peter talks about him in Acts 3. He preached a sermon confirming that Jesus Christ was indeed the prophet foretold in Deuteronomy 18 that I just read. However, the, the deliverance of Jesus offered through his death on the cross was greater than anything Moses ever could ever offer. And this is why we no longer look to the law of Moses for salvation. We look to Jesus. Everything in the Bible, in the Old Testament, points to Jesus. Everything leads to the book of Acts. That's why we stand on the Old Testament. Hallelujah. You can't go without the Old Testament. You need the Old Testament because that's what leads you to Jesus. Amen. This is why we no longer look to Moses, to the law of Moses rather, for salvation. John's gospel phrased it like this for the law in John 1.17. It says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ the law was not sufficient to keep us out of slavery like the grace and truth of Jesus Christ the grace that Jesus offers is unmerited favor although we deserve slavery God has given us an opportunity to come out of that slavery truth I said it before let me tell you it again truth is not in trouble 
I'm telling you, truth is not in trouble. Holiness is not in trouble. God's people are not in trouble. The world is falling apart. That's all true. But God's people are right where they should be. <laughs> Apostolic men and women of the Most High God are right on track. We are not in trouble. Amen. John 14 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm going to choose grace and truth. I'm going to choose Jesus. Both the truth and grace that Jesus Christ offers are free to us. And the problem is not availability, but our willingness to respond. That's the problem. Your willingness to respond to Him. The path, your mind's got to get right. Your mind's got to get on it. Because the path that your mind travels is the path your feet will one day follow. You've got to catch this for yourself. Your parents can't pass this along to you. Hallelujah. You've got to get this for yourself. Amen. In the book of Daniel, there's a story told. He says, King, if you'll share with us the dream, we'll, we'll be glad to give you the interpretation to which the king responded, I can't recall the dream. Don't just tell me the interpretation. Tell me the dream. Here was a king who demanded the next generation to go beyond the interpretation of dreams and to see the dream for themselves. The interpretation isn't good enough. You need to catch the vision for yourself. It's not good enough for you to just know, just to know the what. You need, to, you need a revelation of the why. Saints who only know what not to do are spiritually impaired saints. This generation doesn't need any more information on what we do. They need a revelation of why we do it. We can't be a generation dri driven by what God does, but be driven by, what, by why God does what He does. Amen. When I pray a thousand times and God doesn't heal me, I, I still know He's Jehovah Rapha. I can't, I can't be discouraged about that. And if I pray a thousand times for God to provide for me and He doesn't provide, I still know He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to let the devil lie to me about that. What He does and what He doesn't do does not determine who He is. Who He is determines what He does. When God spoke the world's refrain, this whole thing started with a thought. Don't you remember in the beginning was the word? That word's a thought. This whole thing started with a thought. And that thought became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Sometimes when Christians speak of the experiences of the Old Testament, Versus the New Testament, we speak in terms of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. However, the Old Covenant was never intended to be perfect. Paul wrote that the law was a schoolmaster. When Christ died and rose again, he established the New Covenant. You know when he said it's finished? He was talking about that. It's finished. It's over. He's talking about the New Covenant. We're going to be under the blood now. Hallelujah, under the new covenant, Christ sacrificed himself once for all, one time, 
his singular one-time sacrifice was enough to cover all sins for all time. And we are still living under the new covenant, under the blood of the Lamb of God. The old covenant was never the end goal. The writer of Hebrews made it clear in Hebrews 10 and 1, it says the law was a, a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. The law could, could never make people perfect. Instead, when the children of God regularly came forward to make sacrifices for their sins, their sins were rolled away, rolled forward a year, year after year, waiting for the ultimate sacrifice that could only come through Jesus Christ. The New Testament declares that the law of Moses to be a, a system of bondage and death and not liberty and life. This is not because of any flaw in the law. It held a perfect standard. But what was inherently perfect failed because it demanded of imperfect humans something they just simply could not do. It demanded that they adhere without fail to all 613 commandments. And since human nature is marred by sin, no one could measure up to this standard. Paul said this when people live by the Old Testament it's as, it's as if there's a veil that's over their heart. But I'm here to tell you this morning that veil was written twain. Hallelujah. When he's on that cross, when he said it was finished, the veil of the temple was written twain and that no longer was a problem. That was no longer the case. Hallelujah. When hungry people give their hearts over to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The one scripture said, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, and there is salvation, and there is deliverance. When we receive the Holy Ghost that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we can experience that full liberty today. If you, God, if you get the Holy Ghost today, you're going to experience that today. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, don't leave here without it. Amen. The Pharisee Nicodemus was, uh, uh, was well-versed in the law of Moses, well-versed in the Scriptures. And he came to Jesus secretly by night, and he recognized immediately that Jesus was a teacher come from God in John 3. However, Jesus was more than just a special teacher. He was the Messiah. He was, he was God. And just to note this, Nicodemus later became a disciple. But Jesus answered a question Nicodemus never asked or told, and told him. He said, except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's in John 3 and through John 3 and 5, through right in there. If you want, we got it on this? Yes, there we go. For all his knowledge and training, Nicodemus could not understand what Jesus was saying. He couldn't do it. I'm going to get to it in just a second. Could there really be freedom from the constraints of the law which they had followed rigorously for thousands of years? Could there really be hope for a Messiah? I mean, I know, I know what the Bible says, Jesus, but I'm, I mean, really, are you really him? I mean, we've been waiting a long time. But, but listen, Nicodemus, he, 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 when, 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 you, when you parachute out of, the, out of a plane and you land on John 3.16 and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You got you to gotta go back a few verses. In verse 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, 
except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5 says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is where readers really need to start reading. In verse 3, Jesus is saying, except you have the Holy Ghost, you can't see this. I don't care how versed you are, Nick, you're not going to get it. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Amen. That's what he was telling you. That's, that's, that's what he first told Nicodemus. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. Jesus didn't come to bring death. Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus didn't come to keep people in bondage. He came to bring freedom. He came to set at liberty those who are bound. He came to set the captive free. Calls the blind to see. You know he's that living water. He's the well that was sitting on the well in John 4. Hallelujah. He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for this water and I would give you living water and you'll never thirst again. You know why? Because I'm the well sitting on the well. Hallelujah. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house this morning. I'm not done. I got to get back in this. We got to behave. <laughs> I'm on a time clock. John 8. Now, in this story, in John 8, they're after Jesus, not the woman. This is about the adulterous woman. This is an ongoing story. I want you to stay with me. This is where I wanted to go. There's, there's, this is an ongoing story from chapter 7. They don't bring the guy because they were trying to catch Jesus and accuse him. Jesus never answers them, but instead he, he stoops down on the ground and he starts writing. And then, he, and then he, he stands up and they kept asking him. He stands, he says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Then he stoops down again and he keeps writing in the sand. And I know that... Uh, well, I'll, I'll keep going. The whole thing was a trap to get him caught up in the law of Moses. They all began to leave from the eldest to the youngest in verse 9. Now, we've all wondered what he wrote the sand. We've all wondered what he, he wrote there. The context of the story. Let's go back to chapter 7. The context of the story is the Feast of Tabernacles. You have people coming from all over, leaving their homes, camping out in tents for seven days. And you know what they're celebrating? They're celebrating when God brought them out of Egypt and provided for them in the wilderness. Remember the manna? One of the things they celebrated was the water that God provided for them. You know from that rock which was called Christ. So this is how they kept in touch with what God done for them in the past. They, they, they did this celebration every year. And they understood that God was that source of water. They would even bring water and they would dump it out as a sacrifice. 
This is where they were now. As to him, they would dump that water out. It's here in chapter 7 on that final day of the feast that Jesus stands and cries aloud at that very moment when they were celebrating that God is that source of water. They talked about the water flowing from the rock and how that God brought them over the Red Sea and how oh, he brought them over the Jordan and how God was there. He, he, brought, he gave them manna, but he gave them water. He's the one that watered their flocks. God, he did this. And at this very moment, Praise God, what a perfect time for Jesus to stand and say, if any man thirst, ha ha, let him come unto me and drink, and he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow waters, rivers of living water. Hallelujah, he was talking about the Holy Ghost. He's trying to reveal to them that he's that water. And they look at him and they understood what he was saying. And if you read that chapter, oh, hallelujah, they rejected him. They, they walked away. So this story goes in to chapter 8 and those same Pharisees that told the, the rulers earlier, said, go, go get him, go arrest him. And you know, he come, they come back and say, where is he? And they said, well, we, we didn't arrest him. Why not? They said, well, never a man spake like this man. So now those same Pharisees, I'm going to try to hurry, those same Pharisees, Go grab this woman, this adulterous woman. They rejected him now. They, they just heard him say that he's that living water, that he's God. And so they go grab him. And they grab this woman. They bring this woman during the feast. Okay. Jeremiah 17, 13. During this feast, they would teach from this verse of Scripture. O Lord, the hope of Israel... All that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth. Because they have forsaken the Lord, the, Lord, the fountain of living waters. <laughs> the NIV says dust. Forsaken whom? The Lord. Jesus. He will write your name where? The sand. The sand. They just forsook him in chapter 7. The same ones that brought the woman. And you wonder maybe what Jesus was writing? Huh? And from the eldest to the youngest in chronological order, they walked off. Praise God. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you, re you reject him, your name's going to be written in this earth. That means you're going to stay here and you're going to burn for eternity. You will never leave this earth. Hallelujah. You'll never leave hell. He's going to permanently write you in this earth. I don't want to be written in this earth. I want my name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. I want, my, I want to be called up with him when he calls us. Praise God. He doesn't suffer any to be lost. He's reaching for you this morning because he loves you. He loves you. He wants to give you that living water. He wants to deliver you from bondage. Hallelujah. From corruption, from bitterness, from anger. Whatever's got your torment, God can deliver you. He'll bring you out of it. Praise God. Trust in him. Trust in the Lord, the, the living water. Like I said earlier, he's the well that was propped up sitting on a well. Ha, ha, ha. 
the woman never knew it. She just didn't know that God in flesh was sitting on the well talking to her that had been married how many times? Nobody even wanted anything to do with her, but God does. That's the Bible said. I go back to earlier what I said. He said, let us make man in our image. And I'm here to tell you this morning, when you talk about somebody, when you gossip against somebody, you're gossiping against somebody that God created in his image. Who are you? Who are you? Who am I to talk about somebody that God created? You didn't create them. God did. Who are we to talk about the anointing? Who are we to talk about our leaders? God created them and positioned them. Oh, hallelujah. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you, we got to learn that God loves His people and we are to love them too. Because He said that's the second commandment and it's like unto the first. We are, we are the treasure in the field. You remember the story, the parable? You know, the man goes and sells all that he has for the treasure. When you come to God, you've got to be willing to sell all that you have for the field. Bring your best. Don't leave your best like Jesse did. Jesse, he left David in his field. He left, he left his best in the field. He had the rest of them there. All other seven sons, I mean, they were big dudes. But that wasn't his best. He left his best in the field. Don't leave your best in the field. That's what God wants. He wants your best, and that's what, that's what he requires. Amen. When you come to God, you've got to be willing to give it. He requires your very best. The Son of Man came and, and bought that field for the, tre- for the treasure. And that treasure is you, and that treasure is I. He saw you, and he saw me. He saw his bride in that field, in, in, in the earth, in an ugly place. But he, but he bought it anyway. He loved us that much that he left all for you and me. That's what God did. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to bring you my best, Brother Pope. I don't, I don't want to leave my best out in the field because it belongs to the Lord. So I want to take the lid off. I'm not going to be ashamed of my worship. I'm not going to be ashamed of my praise. I'm going to give him everything I've got because he gave me everything he has. He gave me his all, so I'm going to give him my all. I'm going to give him my best praise. I'm going to give him my best worship because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. You got to get rid of the pride, your pride, because your pride comes from beneath. It don't come from God. You got to get rid of that. Take the lid off. Step out of your pew. Step out of your comfort zone and step into God. Praise God. He wants your best, and He deserves your best. Praise God. Praise God. You know. When you're reading the Bible, uh, rabbis say that there are 70 faces to a text. In other words, what's, what's the scripture says? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. All right, let me give you an illustration. I got a couple minutes. <laughs> I got me on a timer. Did you hear me buzzing? That's the buzzer they put on. <laughs> I gotta stop. You know. That's not the Holy Ghost. That's that buzzer. And uh, anyway, 
I mean, if you take off shouting and think it's the Holy Ghost, you go ahead. <laughs> we'll shout right on the Brother Herndon's sermon. I don't know. But anyway, all right, let me, let me get where it was. So, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So if you're reading that, and you know you just heard that you're getting fired, well, I wouldn't stand up and say, ha, hey, the Bible says no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. They can't fire me. No, you're getting fired because your attitude's all wrong. You're going down. You're done. You got to peel back. We just see, when we're reading the Bible, you just see what's on the surface. Take it off and look underneath. When you read under the, oh, and then you see he's not just a well. He's a well sitting on a well. He's that living water. Oh, he's, he's God. You start seeing what it is. You start seeing the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. That Earthly wisdom comes from beneath. It's demonic. It really is. And, and, and heavenly wisdom comes from God. Amen. You'll start learning how to love your brother and your sister because that's what the Bible commands us to do. If you read the book of James and really read the book of James, it'll open you up. I'm telling you, it'll tear you up and go, wait a minute. You know, this is me. This is what I'm doing wrong. My heart's not right. And so when I'm reading the Bible, I want to search for me because you're in there. Amen? Let's stand. I want to be delivered from whatever's got me bound. It could be bitterness. It could be a gossip spirit. Amen. It's usually the little things that we overlook. That, wow, that's not really a sin. No, that's a sin. It's a heaven and hell. If it's a sin, what is a heaven and hell? Yeah. Yes, it is. If it's a sin, am I right, Brother Rayleigh? You can't get into heaven with sin. So, yes. It's a heaven and hell issue. I know it's hard to believe. Well, I, you mean I go to hell for gossiping? Yes. All right, my buzzer's going off. Let's lift our hands and pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your word. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.